Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So this morning, let me ask you the question, where do you find your identity? Where do you find it? What are the things in your life that you've allowed to kind of mash all together and mush up that creates who you are? What are like the top 10 things of like, if you were to explain yourself by moments in your life or accomplishments or failures or, or hobbies or interests or possessions and things like that, what is that that makes your identity? And uh, I love this little quote by Dr. Seuss, and it's not on the screen, but I'm going to tell it to you. Any Dr. Seuss fans in the house? Yeah. I still love green eggs and ham. It's amazing. I've yet to try it though, but I'm sure they taste great. Um, Dr. Seuss said this, um, today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive that is youer than you. And uh, that's, that's just such a good quote. It's just timeless. It's endless. And I hope that it just goes on forever because um, Dr. Seuss is just, he's just a good guy. But um, I, I believe that we kind of mix up where we get our identity from. And we, we start to um, understand who we are from, from negative parts of our life or, or things that, that aren't true. And what is truer than true, Dr. Seuss says, the theologian, is uh, that you are, you, no one is youer than you. That, that you are actually set apart. And I, I believe that, that God says that in a more Christianese way. But he says that you are set apart, that you are commissioned, that he has created you specifically. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He knows you. He knows you. He has set you apart. That you are actually important. So with, there's a million things that we, we allow to actually try and, uh, try and make who we are, who our identity is. And they, they fight for our attention to try and define us and create our identity. But we can quickly forget who we were actually created to be as human beings. And, and I believe that is royalty. Um, but by kind of just reading this book. And it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a funny word to explain that. But God actually sees us as royalty. That's crazy because God is big and God is, um, you can't contain the, the idea of who God is in a box. You can't, you can't contain how awesome he is. You can't explain it just in a few sentences. But the, the wonder of God is amazing. And for God like that to think of us as royalty is pretty awesome. Because I'm just this mere human that like, you ever see those videos where it, like, it, it's like a video on YouTube and it starts with like somebody smiling and then it zooms out and it's like over the house and it zooms out and it's over their city and it zooms out and it's over Canada and then it zooms out and it's over the earth and it keeps going and going and going in space and it shows how big our world is and how big our God is for uh, a God to create that. He must be really big. And I'm just this tiny little speck of dust. And God sees us as royalty. That's pretty awesome. That means he must think that we're actually really important. That must, that must mean that he thinks that uh, there's actually purpose to our life. And we're not just here by mistake. And we're not just here to live and die and decompose. But we're actually here for a reason. And I think that's pretty awesome. But very, very quickly, we can, we can start to uh, identify ourselves not as that. When we're supposed to be identified by God as royal, a, a prince or a princess, Prince Carlo, where's my throne? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's, that's so heretical. <laughs> I'm not going to make that joke anymore. Um, but uh, we, can, we can start to identify ourselves by the things that aren't true in our life, like the negative things. And I, I don't know about you, but I know that I fall into that trap all the time. Even as a pastor still, um, I have to remind myself daily who I am, who I'm called, who God actually sees me as. Because if I don't, I can fall into this trap of like, oh, I'm this, this person, I suck, I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I messed up, I'm just a sinner. 
And I've fallen into that trap many times, and I know that there's probably tons of other people, you don't have to put up your hand or whatever, just give me a little nod where you're like, yep, that's me too. That's me too. It's, it's, it's a human condition. It, it, it's, it's not who we are, but it's, it's sometimes uh, what we fall into a trap to. And, and listening to these, to these lies that people either speak over us or the enemy speaks over us or, or that we actually speak over ourselves, is a, it's, it's an everyday thing. It's something that's hard that we can't necessarily escape. And whether these things that have been lies that have been spoken over us that we believe is who we are when it's really not, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to as, as lies and things that aren't true as kind of words of death. And that's like a really bold statement. And you're like, well, that's scary. And it's almost Halloween, so maybe it's appropriate. I don't know. But what words of death, what I mean by that is people that have spoken things over your life that aren't actually true. People, and may, maybe they didn't even mean to. Um, but it, the people that have spoken words of death over you, they've spoken things that aren't true about who you are, who you're created to be, your character, that you're actually set apart, that you are special, that you are important. And... Uh, we easily can fall into the trap of letting words of death identify who we are. Amen? Like, I, that happens to me all the time. Like, all of the time, even as a pastor. It happens to us. So maybe growing up, you were like the class clown. Do we have any class clowns in the house? That's why Sandy just laughed. <laughs> he was like, oh no, he's going to call me out. I'm just kidding. But all, all the class clowns, if, if you're, I remember I was a bit of a class clown. I would probably even still consider myself a bit of an office clown now, I would say. Um, but somebody's got to be it, right? And I, I know that uh, as a class clown, that personally, um, the more that you try and not just put a smile on people's face, but the more you joke in moments that probably aren't supposed to be joked about, and you start to lose the ability to have a serious moment with people. You start to lose the ability to um, actually have a, a serious conver- conversation or a life-giving conversation, and people start to see you as a joke. It's not just jokes that you make anymore. They begin to say, ah, I can't take you seriously anymore, Carlo. You're just, you're just a class clown. I can't take you seriously anymore. And your identity has become now a joke. People just see you as a joke and they don't take you seriously anymore. And that's what I mean by people that speak words of death. Even though it might be your fault for just being a goof all the time, they just see you as, now you're a joke. So your identity, you now identify yourself as, ah, nobody really cares about me. Nobody wants to have a serious conversation with me. I'm just a joke. I'm just a class clown. And that's not, that's not who we are. That's not who we're meant to be. We are not meant to identify ourselves with the words of death and lies and just untrue things like that that people have spoken over us. Or maybe you're the kind of person, I know I'm, I'm this person, that um, when you've been set in type, some type of group setting and you have to learn something new and everybody else in your group understands it, whether this is in school or whether it's your workplace or in your family or whatever it is, and, and you're learning something new. It could be as simple as like a board game or like a, a game of cards or something like that. I'm so bad at card games, and then I get really good. But those like first like those first like five times that I play the game, I'm just like terrible. I'm just so bad at it. But I, I, I know the feeling of, of when everybody else in the room, everybody else in the group understands what's going on, and I don't. And I, I remember even, even in some situations in school where kind of people were like, how do you not understand this yet? Like, you must, you must be dumb. You must be stupid. How do you not, how do you not get this? And, I, and when, when things of, uh, uh, like lies and words of death are repeatedly speak, spoken over you over and over and over and over again, sometimes it doesn't take long until you believe it, right? Things that aren't true become true in your mind, because peop, that's how everybody must see you. That's, 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 that must be what's true. That if I'm just a class clown and nobody can take me seriously, I just must be a joke. 
That's who I am. That's my identity. Or I, I can't learn like these other people. I didn't get this as, as quick as everybody else in my group in the room did. So I just must be dumb compared to everybody else. And we start to identify ourselves by words of death. And we actually start to give power to people that, are, that, that either didn't mean it that way or don't deserve it. And we start to identify ourselves of those negative things. So a little story, I, I remember when I was uh, in high school, and I just turned 24, and it makes me feel so old. <laughs> I know, it, I know I'm, 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 still, I'm still young, but um, I, it feels like a long time ago that I was in high school, and it's probably because I'm a youth pastor now, and I see all you guys, you have crazy energy, and by 30 minutes into the night on Wednesday night, I'm like, I, can't, I don't have any breath left, <laughs> and I usually lose my voice every single Wednesday night, it's crazy, but... Um, I remember when I was in high school, um, I was like the most unmotivated like kid in the entire world. Like nobody was more unmotivated than me. <laughs> and um, I, it took me a long time to realize this, but I had to own up to my own mistakes and my own faults when it, when it came to when it came to that, but uh, I remember that because of that, I was unmotivated, so I didn't participate, or I'd skip class, or I wouldn't try my hardest, and it wasn't because I was struggling that I was unmotivated, I just, I was just unmotivated, I don't really know why, just in that time of my life, and uh, it, I, I hated it, it sucked, it's, it's not what, how I wanted to live, but I remember that people started to identify me as someone that just doesn't care. Someone that just should give up. Someone that just should drop out. Someone that's not motivated for this or doesn't give a rip about anything. And I remember that it was, it's one thing when like just random like classmates like talk to you about like, like that or kind of talk behind your back about that. And then there's another thing like when like some of like your, you thought were your close friends kind of tell you those kinds of things. And it's another thing when like your teachers and your, and, and your guidance counselor and your principal start to say those same things. Like, why don't you care about anything, Carla? Why aren't you motivated about this? Like, why, like you, you, you might as well just start getting a job now and, and drop out. And I remember that really hit me pretty hard. And not to make a sappy moment here this morning, but I remember I was like, you know what? These people are probably right. So uh, it, it, I don't know if technically I dropped out of high school, but I definitely stopped going for a long time. And uh, I wouldn't wake up in the morning. And I would sleep in until like 4 p.m. or something crazy like that and stay up all night. And I wasn't doing anything, anything crazy. I was just, I didn't want to be part of that anymore because that's who I was. I'm just a dropout. I'm just a loser. And, and I can't take anything seriously. And I'm just not motivated to do anything with my life. And those are the kinds of words of death that people spoke over, over me, whether it was intentional or not. That's what was said. And I heard it so many times that I actually began to believe that's who I was. And then there was, a, there was a moment I remember, and I became a Christian at this point, and God kind of spoke to me and he said, wake up, man. <laughs> like, like, you need to get yourself together because your identity is not those things that people spoke over to you. Your identity is not those terrible things that people have been saying to you that have, have treated you this way to the point where you want to give up and drop out. But you are actually called, that you are actually smart, that you actually have, you have so much to offer. And uh, I mean this in the most humble way, but I remember God kind of reminding me of the things that I was good at, and the things that I was gifted at, and the things that I, I have dreamed about, and that I wanted to do with my life, and the things that he wanted me to do in my life, which is doing this. And I know that I wouldn't have got here if I didn't stop, uh, if I didn't not believe in words of death that were spoken over me, but started to believe 
and words of life that were spoken over to me. And I remember I had to surround myself with people that were going to speak life into me. And uh, uh, long story short, I went back to a, a school where it's kind of like a work at your own pace school. And, and usually it was filled with students and, and young adults that had to take a, a less course load because they couldn't handle it for whatever reason. And uh, I remember doing nine high school credits in like three and a half or four months or something crazy like that. And I just worked my butt off like crazy just so I can get into college. I applied for college like I don't know, with OSAP, maybe like two or three weeks before the doors opened, and I somehow got accepted. It all worked out. Um, I graduated from college, and I'm working at a sweet church now, which, which is, thank you, seriously. But I tell you that story because there's actually power in words. There's power in words that resides in both other people's words to you and uh, your own words to yourself. There's power in words. And in chapter 4 of the book that we're reading together, um, Bill Johnson writes on, on page 51, and we should have it up on the screen. He says this, the author, he says, The devil keeps records of our past, yet those records are powerless without our agreement. He is the accuser of the brethren, but Jesus is our defender. When we make an agreement with the accuser, uh, we make an agreement with the accuser whenever we look at our past. When we agree with the devil, we empower him. So there's actually power in words. So what exactly is Bill trying to say here? He's talking about the power that resides that's being spoken to us. Uh, and in this context, he's talking about negative things. And when we actually choose to agree with those people, that's when those words become powerful. Words of death are not powerful until you agree with that person. So if someone comes up to you and says, you're not very good at that. You suck at that. You should give up. That doesn't become powerful in your life until you say, yeah, you're probably right. When you do the opposite and you say, thank you very much, and you turn the other way, and you, and you remind yourself of, no, I actually am good at this, and I'm a work in progress, and I'm learning, but uh, this is something that I love to do. Don't be let down by those kinds of people. Don't be let down by the enemy. Don't be let down by yourself when you speak words of death over your life. Stop choosing to agree with people that speak words of death over your life, because that is not the way to go. Because if, if you think that that was going to help you in any situation, you know by now that it hasn't. It hasn't helped in any way. Words are powerful. If you're like me or, or human, really in any way, you get caught up in your past. We are our biggest critics, aren't we? We are our biggest critics. There's no one on the whole planet, other than God, but uh, on this whole planet, human being today, on the planet, knows ourselves better than ourselves. Nobody. You know yourself better than anybody in the whole world. We are our biggest critic. We are the one that knows our biggest secrets. We know our most embarrassing moments, our dip, deepest fears, and we know uh, some of the most unfortunate failures that, that we've had to uh, do. And when we remind ourselves of these parts of our life from our past, we can't, we, we can't identify ourselves with, with our past. We can't, because we're not actually meant to live in the past. We're actually meant to live in the present and for the future. We're not meant to linger in the past. Life was not designed for us to live in the past. There's actually nothing beneficial from living in the past. Nothing at all. There's nothing in the whole world that, it, whatever your past may be, there's nothing beneficial for staying there. So what I'm not saying is that you can't, um, you can't learn from your past. You can't be reminded of joyful moments of your past. You can't regret some things in your past. You can't, um, you know, just uh, remember stories and all that kind of stuff of your past. You can do all that stuff, but you can't stay there. You can't live in your past because you're not meant to live in your past. You're meant to live in your present and in your future. Because you're, you're, you're supposed to be walking forward. You're supposed to be facing forward. In, uh, in the Bible, which I believe is God's word to us, and I believe it's a book that's full of hope, 
It's not just a book full of stories and myths that have no relevance today, but I believe it's a book that's actually written personally to uh, us as, as humanity, and in it we can find encouragement, we can find correction, we can find wonder, and we can find life. And uh, in, in this letter, this guy named Paul, he, he writes to this city called Corinth. So he's, he's writing them this letter. It's basically this, a bunch of believers in the, in, the, in the city of Corinth. And it says this in 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18, the message translation, which is kind of just an easier translation to uh, understand and read. Paul is writing, and they say, he says this. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes. I love that example that he uses. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, which I guess would be large potatoes. <laughs> the lavish celebration prepared for us. Uh, there's far more than meets the eye. And this is the key here that I want you to understand. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. So what is Paul talking about? There's moments in your life that are here and then they're gone. They're now in your past. You can't, you can't live on that. You can't linger on those moments. But what you can linger on and, and understand and know and believe is uh, a grace and love and forgiveness and, 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 and loyalty and character and integrity. Those are the things that are going to last forever. I love this passage because it just explains how every day we get a fresh start. That the things that happen today are going to be gone tomorrow. So tomorrow morning, we get a fresh start to be who we are every single morning. And uh, it's only by grace. And I can't really explain or comprehend grace to you in, you know, 30 minutes or so. But what I can explain to you is that once you experience, you know that grace can't be topped. You can't top God's grace. It it can't be topped. And there's beauty found in these moments where... um, there's beauty found in these moments where you kind of do something the day before, you said that thing you wish you never said or didn't mean to say, or you regret that moment or you treated somebody this way, and you wake up the next morning, and because you've been forgiven by Jesus, you understand his grace, you can say, I have a new day. I can start over. I have, I have the ability now, by God's grace, through his forgiveness, Jesus on the cross, to actually be a new person. Even though I screwed up so much yesterday, I have the ability to start again fresh today. I even have the ability to actually go and make things right with that situation or that person, which I think is incredible. And that's not on our own strength. And sometimes we think it is, but it's not. It's actually by God's grace that he gives us the ability to do that, which I just think is so amazing. And then there's the other, the other kind of morning where I, I cringe when I wake up because all I am is reminded of the things that happened the day before, or the week before, or the year before, or, or the decade before. And I, I remember these things in my past and it ruins my whole day because I don't understand God's grace. And I haven't accepted forgiveness, so I don't have, I, I haven't experienced his grace through forgiveness. And uh, from that point on, I identify myself with my past. But by God's grace, through his forgiveness, you identify yourself with who you are supposed to be, which is a new start every single day. And I just think that's incredible. Um, page 52 in the book that we're reading, Supernatural Ways of Royalty, it says this. Um, Bill writes, religion rubs our noses in the past to keep us humble, reviewing the sinfulness of our past in order to become a hum- Sorry, reviewing the sinfulness of our past in order to become humble is a perversion. It actually creates shame, and shame is a poor counterfeit of humility. So if you're here this morning and you are a religious person, you should probably stop being a religious person because the only people that Jesus had beef with that I read in the New Testament was religious people. 
He hung around with prostitutes. He hung around with people with leprosy. He hung around with the people that nobody wanted to spend time with. The only people he got upset and flipped tables over were religious people that were taking, uh, were, that were taking faith in God's grace and, and, and love out of context. Religion rubs our noses in the past to keep us humble. Reviewing the sinfulness of our past in order to become humble is a perversion. It actually creates shame, and shame is a poor counterfeit, counterfeit of humility. I think that's just an incredible word, just the way that, that Bill wrote that. It continues to write after this. To maintain consciousness of our sinful past to help us become more humble is the cruelty of a religious spirit. It requires us to keep something in our minds that isn't in God's. I need to say that again. To maintain consciousness of our sinful past to help us become humble, a.k.a. to help us become the person that we're supposed to be. So to maintain, to, to live in the past to try and help us become the person we are supposed to be is from a religious spirit. And it actually requires you to keep something in your mind that isn't in God's. In reality, it is much more humbling to live in the liberty of unearned forgiveness. We are forgiven. um, When we are forgiven, Jesus gives us permission to live as though we have never sinned. And I don't, I've never, I've tried a million different things and there's, there's nothing quite like that statement right there is that the moment that I accept God's grace and I, I know his forgiveness um, is the moment that, that I feel free. It's the moment that I realize that um, God doesn't take my sins, um, the, 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 kind of the, the trophies of failure in my life, and stick them on a shelf so that when I, you know, I'm getting excited, I'm like, man, I'm just doing a really good job at this or that, I won at this. He doesn't say, hey, Carlo, remember when you screwed up yesterday? I just want to keep you humble. That's what religion says, but that's not who God is. That's not who God is. He's actually the exact opposite of that. That there is no shelf. And if there was a shelf, the only shelf that there is is your accomplishments and your faith in him and, your, and his forgiveness for you. He doesn't remind you. He doesn't remind you of your sin. The enemy reminds you of your sin. You remind you of your sin. The people that speak death over you remind you of your failures in your past. But you can't live in the past. By forgiveness and by grace, you can actually live to the person you're supposed to be. That's your true identity. This is the difference between religion and relationship. I don't consider myself a very religious person in any way. And I know we use the word religion to explain Christianity and all that. I understand that. But I don't believe that God is a religious God. I believe that he's a relational God. And I believe that because I believe that he created us. He created this world. He created the universe. He created humanity. And I don't think a religious God would do something like that. He actually gave us free will, choice. The first two people that we read about in the Bible, Adam and Eve. He actually gives them free will to actually make a choice for themselves. Religion doesn't say you get a choice. Religion just reminds you when you break the rules. Relationship actually says, even when you screw up, I'm going to love you anyways. And, and, and the long story short is Old Testament all the way up till Jesus is that Adam and Eve make their own decision apart from God and they kind of mess up and they screw up that way and God is working through all the Old Testament and all the kings and all the stories and all the prophets until Jesus arrives. He comes as Jesus. So God is, God is, Jesus is God in the flesh. Does that make sense? J- Jesus is actually God as a human. Came to, hum- came to the earth to die for you. And even better, he rose again. So you can actually be forgiven. So that your identity is no longer in the past. But it's actually for the present and the future. So if you're wondering uh, today. If you're wondering how, how do I keep facing forward? How do I keep facing forward? How do I stop like, looking in my past? Um, you might have heard this before in any way. But the, the first thing you got to do. You just got to accept God's grace. 
You just got to know that God loves you and forgives you. And the only thing you have to do is ask. There's, there's no one, two, three step of it. There's no religious practice of it. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't even have to lift your hand. You don't even have to be at church to get saved. You know, I, like I, I've, I asked God to be a part of my life at McDonald's. Like, I'm serious. My, my, friend, my friend Mike told me about Jesus when I was at McDonald's at like probably like two or three in the morning. And I heard it a million times before that. But there was that time that, it, that finally it just clicked for me. It just clicked for me. So if you're wondering, how do I face forward? How do I stop living in my past? How do I stop living in my regrets and my sins and my failure? You have to you just accept God's grace this morning. Accept his forgiveness and just know how much he loves you. And, and if, if you are a person that considers yourself a follower of Jesus or, or a Christian, um, and, and you know, you, you've accepted his grace, you know his grace, you understand it, you, you've accepted his forgiveness, how do I keep, like, how do I stop myself from living in the past? Um, Bill, Bill uses this word in the book. He says he had to stop introspecting himself, which I was like, what does that mean? And then he, he writes this kind of uh, explanation in prayer in, in chapter four. So if you have the book or you're part of a small group, just go ahead and read that. I'm not going to read it this morning, but it's just so good. He says, you got to stop introspecting him, himself. So what he means by that is he had to stop being God for himself. He had to stop trying to correct himself when all the things are wrong because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to do that for us. That the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is our advocate, is our corrector, is our helper, is, is the person that is actually going to help us um, become who we're supposed to be. So if, if, if you don't know God this morning and you want to, all you got to do is ask him into your life. All you got to do is say, would you, would you forgive me for my sins, Jesus, because I don't want to keep living in my past. And he's going to go, yes. And then there's going to be a party in heaven, because that happens every single time. And heaven throws the best parties in the whole world. And then if, if you consider yourself a Christian and a believer today, and, and you're stuck in your past, and you're stuck in your failures and your sin, and you want to face forward, and you want to become your true identity, which is royalty, a prince or princess, you got to stop introspecting yourself. Stop doing God's job for him. Let him be God. And just you be you. Forgiveness changes your past. There's no, there's no journal that God writes of your history of sin and stupidity, but it's actually of his forgiveness and your faith. The moment that you ask God's forgiveness, you are a new creation, a new identity, and you're seen as royalty in his eyes. Paul says this in, a, in another letter that he wrote, he wrote to the Roman church. It's, uh, verse, uh, it's in um, chapter 6, verse 11. It says this, Even so, think of yourself as dead to sin. And I love reading Paul's Paul's letters because he was such a bold guy like he didn't beat around the bush he just told it how it was and there's moments where he's like said some pretty interesting things and and I found this one really interesting he says even though think of yourself as dead to sin the moment that you know grace that you accept forgiveness you are now dead to your past you're actually a new person you have a new identity. You are a new creation because of Jesus. Well, I just think it's incredible. You no longer are living in sin. You are dead to sin. Your new identity found through the cross eliminates your sin and recognizes you as saved. Let me say that again. The cross eliminates your sin and recognizes you as saved. No longer do you need to stay attached to the past. No longer do you need dark moments of your life to haunt you every day. Um, and keep you from being you. And um, in, in this book, Bill kind of shares a couple of scriptures at the end just to encourage us. And I believe that the Bible is, is full of encouragement. 
And it, it is, it, you know, there's correction and there's humility in there and stuff. But there's some really awesome encouragement. So I just want to share with you this morning a few of these things. So in Psalm 103, verse 11 to 12, it's written here. It says, For as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. In this context, fear means like respect him. I'm talking about God there. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or or sins and failures from us. So this psalmist writes that uh, God's love is so incredible that the most furthest point of the world that way and the most furthest point of the world that way, that's how far you are from your sin now. That God doesn't see you as close to that. Even when you mess up. All you got to do is say, God, forgive me for that. Help me be the person that you've actually created to be. Remind me of my true identity. And now your sin is way over there. And you're way over there in glory. Next one, it says, Philippians 44, 3-5 says this. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has also begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Basically, when he's talking about when, when Jesus comes back to take his uh, church to heaven. Be confident that since God has saved you, you are a work in progress. And that's okay. The moment that you become a Christian, or the moment you became a Christian, you know that things don't necessarily become easier. They actually become harder because you have the reality of your sin in your face now. You know right from wrong. You know the truth about morality. You know the truth of how God has designed us to live. And that is a, that is a journey. That is a work in progress every day. Until you get to spend eternity in heaven with God. But the best part is that because of God's grace, you get a new start every day. So you don't have to live in the past. You get a new start. So be confident that because every day you get a new start, you are a work in progress. And one day you get to spend eternity with Jesus. Last one is this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if anyone is a believer in Jesus, he is a new creature, a creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So God says, if you believe in me, the old parts of your life, they've passed away. You're dead to sin. You are, you are so far from that, I don't even see it anymore. It's as if it never happened. You have the privilege as a royal family member to actually live a new life. And I, I understand how overwhelming this can be if, if you're kind of a new person in the house and trying to understand this. So I'm, I'm trying my best to not use Christianese and... <laughs> Uh, just explain it to you in the best way, but all, all I can say is that Jesus loves you so much, and he loves me so much, and there was, there was a point in my life where I was apart from God, I didn't know God, and, and I was very skeptical about religion, and Christianity, and faith, and all those kinds of things, but the moment that I finally decided to lay myself down, the moment that I decided to finally stop trying to figure out all this life stuff on my own, is the moment that I realized that I needed God's grace, and from that moment on, life has been like the best journey ever. It's been so much better in, in every way. And I, I ask and pray this morning that you would consider that. God, I pray that um, God, you are real. We know that you are real and that, and that you love us. And that the, the moment that we, we are uh, forgiven, the moment that we accept your grace, God, the moment where we decide to be in relationship and friendship with you, we know that uh, our life um, gets a new start a fresh 180 and that we don't have to live in the past anymore. 
So God, I pray that you would encourage, um, give, give the courage and boldness to those in, in the house this morning that are having a hard time of letting go of their past. God, I pray that they would be reminded of that they are royalty in your eyes, that they are prince and princesses, that their identity is not found in their sin. Their identity is not found in the, their screw-ups, God. Their identity is not found in the places where they mess up. But Lord, uh, um, their identity is just found in you and who you've called them to be, which is perfect and blameless and sinless and amazing. And you love us, Lord, so much. So, God, I pray you would remind those this morning that are having a hard time letting go. And you would be able to just kind of loosen the grip of their hand on their past. And that they would begin to reach facing forward, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you. And that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 